A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hello and welcome to the Rampage Review. I'm Michael Sidgwick, joined by fellow Dadly Boy Michael Hamflit to discuss everything that went down on Friday's show. But before we get into it, if you're a fan of this sort of thing, make sure to subscribe to What Culture Wrestling on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from for daily wrestling podcasts. We preview and review Raw Smackdown, the show formerly known as NXT 2.0, Dynamite Rampage Premium live events, pay-per-views. We have wrestling um, interviews, roundtable discussions, sometimes we answer your questions, and we host a roundup of the week complete with a bloody good quiz, of course, on wrestle culture. But as I said, joined by Hamlet today to review. So Hamlet, I thought this was a fun house show that yeah. happened to be filmed in front of a hot crowd with a tiny bit of angle advancement, but it was mainly there for the people in the building, but the joy was able to be felt through the screen, I think. What did you think of the Rampage, baby? This is Rampage. I'm more viscerally impressed, like at an emotional level, with your button dexterity than I was this edition of Rampage. Yes. Which is not to damn it with faint praise, because it's hard, yeah, as you kind of like put it all the time when we talk about Rampage, it is hard to passionately invest in this version of AEW. It just is. They've now established for the longest time um, what Rampage exists to do, and unfortunately, it's not to maintain the excitement of a Wednesday night and whether that be when you've got like a taped audience there, or indeed in this case, when you're in, you know, quite a, a hot town in terms of Toronto, even when it's taped. And yet, I quite enjoyed this episode. I don't know if the crowd carried the whole thing. They did. <laughs> but I thought it was quite nicely paced. We saw a better version of a match from a couple of weeks ago. Um, and as a result, as far as an hour went, and Rampage is extremely low down on my priorities list when it comes to weekly wrestling consumption, because typically you'll review it with Wilborn. I didn't I didn't watch this show resenting it and that at this point will do. I didn't sit there looking at my watch. I didn't just I wasn't just like waiting for the hour to end. It's strange rampage. Sometimes it feels even longer than an hour when one hour of pro wrestling should still be the perfect viewing experience. Yep. So I didn't have a honestly I didn't have a bad time with this. I don't know that there was much to take away from it, but I didn't have a terrible time with it. I didn't have a terrible time, but your take, your suggestion anyway, that the crowd carried this entire thing, I would say one million percent. If you transplanted this entire show, content and all, 
onto the arse end of a big marathon Wednesday night taping, I don't think I would have got anywhere near as much out of it. Obviously, some of the, the talent um, was very much region-specific, which, again, lent it a house show vibe. Um, but there was nothing that truly was exceptional. There was nothing that really made me want to watch the show next week, which is an absolute vital ingredient of the episodic TV experience. But ultimately, to sort of distill the um, effect the crowd had on the show, something kind of weirdly magic happened in this first match, which I thought was merely pretty damn good and fun. Um, Opened with Claudio Castagnoli and John Moxley of the Blackpool Combat Club um, winning... Um, cleanly, a nice little match with the Butcher and the Blade. Um, starts uh, the usual structure, um, unfolds in which the baby faces get the shine. Um, some European uppercuts, some nice brutal suplexes from Moxley on the Blade in particular. Through nefarious means, the heels regain control. And they do a nice double team with a suplex um, splash combination. Um, but Moxie gets the hot tag, goes wild, takes Blade out with a cutter, then hits the butcher with a tope, and it's one of those where it's, I would describe this as the Minoru Suzuki tope, yeah. and it's that John Moxley, it's because he doesn't know how to do sh- that makes him a great wrestler. Even when he goes out of his comfort zone and doesn't do that, which he is incredible at, it's John Moxley, he's still wonderful, it's almost like the uglier or the less spectacular, the better. Anyway, uh, Moxley goes to try and hit the blade in the head with a kick, but um, it's countered very nicely with great timing on the butcher's part with the crossbody, but eventually they do this kind of West Side Story spot, Mm. and the crowd just, to a man, to a woman, to, you know, a child or whatever, stands up and applauds it as if they're 25 minutes (laughs) deep into this absolutely incredible pay-per-view main event epic, and I'm thinking... Are you just really happy that you, you're watching AEW live for the first or second time? Or have I just fallen asleep and missed 15 <laughs> minutes of this classic match? Because it's weird that they did this spot. It worked. And then in the end, um, Mox and Claudio work in an absolutely beautiful stereo. Um, take them both out with clothesline. Kick the living he- uh, crap out of their heads. And then there's a stereo Ricola bomb and Death Rider to the blade and the butcher respectively. And they get the win, after which Mox lets Claudio have some mic time directed at Hangman Page, basically saying that, do I care about anyone when the bell rings? No. And that's kind of your lot. Yeah. I I don't want to just downgrade the success of that this match and that spot in particular, the way in which the crowd came up for it, on the work of one man. I would do this in Newcastle for a three-star AEW match. I'm not saying that they shouldn't. This is it, right? But, like, was it incredibly shrewd of Tony Khan to only feature John Moxley in a promo and then book him for a matchup. Like, might that have been the smartest booking decision he made over the two days in terms of thinking of the live experience? Because it felt to me like this this was a good, and at times, like, it was always enjoyable, but like at times it like bordered on getting great because the Butcher and Blade had really great chemistry with Moxley and uh, Claudio. But was it the involvement of Moxley that somehow elevated this so far, like a real beyond, star, yeah, beyond uh, like how a, a rampage tag match could be received. Because even if it is Blackpool Combat Club who are presented as one of the big stables, they've got the world champion in the midst on uh, every Wednesday night. If this had been uh, Claudio and Wheelie, they don't come up in the way they did, they, they just they just don't. Yeah, it's, it, it would feel different. It would Moxley selling the scars of this little mini war he's had with the butcher and the blade suddenly elevated this to something way more. And I don't mean to denigrate Claudio there as well, but. Really, what is his AEW run so far? 
he's kind of been deemed much lesser than by the choice to put the belt on Chris Jericho. As soon as he lost that belt, the conversation was, yeah, it's probably good for a TV deal. What does that say about Cesaro? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, nobody's saying that bit out loud, but there is a kind of quiet part loud there as well. So I just think the choice to use Moxley in a match here was inspired. And like I say, it didn't carry the match. I don't wish to... Like underrate the performance of everybody else because this was super, super spirited. This was for the crowd. A note on that, by the way, I got this from it was, it was John Pollock, I think, because he'd reported um, the the story we're going to get to later on on Twitter. So I'm assuming he was there live and this wasn't from him. So I think this was direct. Are you aware, because I wasn't, of how the endless parade of dark matches work for the benefit of the live crowd, the dark and dark elevation matches? How they Do you know how they format it and how they do it? A jobber goes to the ring as introduced and then they put like a Royal Rumble countdown on the screen and you don't know which star is ah. coming and that's what generates the heat each time. So it's not just, uh, it, it says 14 matches. You're not like, right, here's the Ricky Starks match. Here's the uh, Eddie Kingston match. Here's the private party match. It's, here's two jobbers. Here's a single jobber. Here's a female jobber. And you now know that you can get excited for a star. You don't know which one. So that's how they kind of maintain that momentum for the crowd. And it isn't... That's very savvy. Yeah. It's as far as a live experience goes, because I think it gives you... Wrestling fans love to count, right? And wrestling fans love the, it's that Royal Rumble klaxon moment of excitement. But then you get excited for an entrance, effectively. You know you're going to get a squash. And the match is almost the time in which you can come down a little bit and get excited for the next yeah. one. And that here, I think, is how this Rampage was so hot, because it was just Rampage and a bunch of dark matches to give the fans their money's worth, I suppose, and seeing a bunch of AEW stars. So, I like, when you put that next to the the way the crowd were hot for this, this was kind of the perfect spot. The Rampage opener was the perfect spot for, uh, like, the crowd at least to come unglued for something like the West Side Story yeah. standoff. So I just, it's not directly related to the match, but I thought it's worth putting over a couple of ways in which you can make a television presentation as entertaining as it was for the live crowd. Yeah. Just to add as well, I'm not going to, there was um, there was a sign from Travis. Um, Travis is a good guy. He's a good guy at underscore AW underscore one. Um, ordinarily a good guy, but I uh, I do not wish to repeat it because it was slanderous and it appeared on screen in sizable orange and black font at the start of this opening match, which is when Rampage typically has its highest rating. Um, and I just think you cannot be like, these, these things need to be ideally taken at the door or like these fans that try and come in and hijack these shows with such ludicrous signs. I just think they need to be called out. Like, not to... I don't want to glamour... He does this to get... You know, these... We know these bad faith actors yeah. do it to get put in the conversation, but we glamorise it if we actually talk about the content of the signs, in my opinion. Well, you know, we are not a podcast in which we are afraid of our own shadows. So let's mm. stop dancing around this one. Yeah. Travis brought a sign, uh-huh. visible on camera, yeah. particularly during the main event, and it said, Hamlet fears reigns. It's disgusting. It's absolutely, it's slanderous. It's denigrates a good name in this industry. Then why, during office hours when we're not recording a podcast, yeah. do I sometimes catch you with your eyes peeled white, shaking a little bit, <laughs> telling me that Matt Raines has just dropped a zinger at your expense, and I'm saying, hey, hey man, like, what are you working on? Because you've obviously got a bit stressed in terms of what you content you're producing because you're, you're miles away your eyes have gone spacey and i go on your screen and it's matt rain's tweeting that you're a dickhead and you don't know how to respond so maybe you do fear him it's never the zingers it's the pint picks like i just i just want to look at pints all day long he's gonna absolutely he's gonna this podcast is gonna be his pornhub search for the next 10 years of his idiot life but thanks travis because like i showed 
Hamlet appearing like on the screen and my mum and dad at the weekend when I happened to be seeing them and were like, that's Hamlet on the telly. That That sort of stuff. A huge yeah. Huge pass. Like, so thank you very much for that, Travis. And Matt, just keep what you're doing. You, we'll get them at some point. We'll get rid of them. <laughs> if you keep scaring them like you do, because obviously you do fear it rains. Um, I was fearful of what might happen in Good. the following segment, but ultimately we didn't get an interruption. No. Yeah. It was Renee Packer. We did in the next one. <laughs> it was Renee Packer interviewing Swerve Strickland and Keith Lee. Um, Swerve Strickland basically said something to the effect of, I'm delighted that they don't get to do their stupid scissoring thing, and isn't it great? And Keith Lee, just to maintain the dynamic that they've been gently cultivating um, over the past however many months, um, did not enjoy the fact that he had to cheat to defeat Billy Gunn. I think we're all kind of um, unanimous in agreement with (laughs) Mr. Lee on that particular issue. And uh, Swerve's like, what do you want us to do? I won the match. And Key said, well, I think you're swerving into a different lane. Jesus Christ, mate. (laughs) Not you. Well, you a bit, but... Uh, like me, me, me. Barriers! Swerving into it. Barriers, if you want to barriers. I'm a... Professional broadcast. Bob Heen used to call himself yeah, yeah, yeah. a broadcast journalist. I'm definitely not a journalist. Uh, yeah. I'd look, it was cheesy, but it was good. It was effective. This was making a little bit more um, apparent what we've had to infer, which is the um, right before they won the belts, this idea that this team wasn't long for this world, and then the belts were used as a nice diversion to make you think that everything is fine. Uh, I c- I've quite enjoyed Keith Lee physically being able to embrace being a bit of a bastard. But then in promos and in his actions, such as like the handshake moment in the after the match and stuff, trying to remain the good guy. I quite like this yeah. as a strain of drama for the third match that we're going to get, for the prospective feud that we'll see between Swerve and Our Glory when they're finally explored. So yeah, I, I'm quite into this. I, don't, I do not mind them making this a bit more obvious just for anyone at the back that's still not picking up on it because I think it's going to inform huge drama in the rubber match. Yeah. Which... which now make that obvious. Tell, yeah, me, tell me that this match is coming because that's what I'm now feeling the need for. I need a graphic drop. Yeah, if you're not going to smack us over the face with it, at the very least, don't do that, which they haven't been doing. But yeah, at some point you really want to, you know, for those in the back. Yeah. And God knows on Twitter that there are people who are willingly prepared to admit that they are idiots, even though they are disputing. Oh, I don't know what's going on with the storyline. Well, you do because you're acknowledging <laughs> it, that it is a storyline. But you know, there are some people who need the exposition. As long as you don't get, don't get too much of it. Um, then I guess that's absolutely fine. Uh, we get another interview, again, conducted by Renee Paquette, who just does legitimately light up the screen. She mm-hmm. just has that quality. Um, I don't think she can really elevate the, the dross, so I am hoping for like, a real much-needed change in the way that they f- format these interviews. But she's interviewed by the Dark Order. Wouldn't you just know it? Jose, the assistant versus the Dark Order. It's one of the strangest feuds. It's now got even worse um, in the fact that Andrade is not there. So now that Roosh... Bloody hell, he's a problem, that Roosh. And you know what? I'm going to have a match with him. If he doesn't accept, and if he doesn't, and if he loses, he has to go away. Just so I, uh, even when it was Andrade, I knew it was Roosh. Just this idea. Even when it was Andrade, I knew it was Roosh. I'm pissed off. Uh, this idea that all of a sudden, like, yeah, yeah, it was actually uh, Roosh is the one in charge of all this. It was always Roosh. Roosh, 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 Roosh. It's, it's proper, ridiculous, like, WWE brain thing to just have somebody assume the entire life and goals and career of somebody that's been in this company, what, doing this recruitment stuff for about a year at yeah, this point? Yeah, yeah. It's like, what was Roosh watching in the shadows? Like the cut of Andrade. Like the Inspector Gadget, you know, is it the claw where you'd only ever see the, the yeah, yeah, yeah. hand? Was that Roosh? And Andrade was just doing his bidding on the ground. Anyway. So, success. Success. The whole thing sucks ass. The sooner it's over and done with the bet. I hope he just simply beats Roosh. But then yeah. again, I'm thinking Hangman Page does something with, oh, he's going to go to Andrade at full gear, I think. That was where it was... 
Yeah, could that be off now or not? I'm fairly certain it is. And he's already faced Russo. No matches so. happen because everybody fights. <laughs> oh God, what is going on in this promotion? Jesus Christ. Anyway, so um, the challenge is extended by 10 to Roosh for next week. If he wins, then Roosh has to leave them bloody alone. <sighs> Absolutely I, ridiculous. I hope, I hope he wins for that reason, but it's not where the drama typically goes, is it? No, I don't expect so. Anyway, so they... What a, a preposterous like, If I win, you've got to leave me alone. Or you could just leave... Can you can you leave me alone, please? Yeah, well, that saved us a match. Though, yeah, yeah. It? Like, it's just stupid. Get, get a restraining order or something. I need a complete... I, I've said no. Well, I don't take no for an answer. Well, I've said it. So, like, that's just what do you do? Tony Conscious stepped in and went, oh, that's absolute rubbish. Just have a match and shut up. <laughs> Stop interrupting, actually. Should, it should institute fines for interrupting these goddamn promos. That's a great shout, that. Imagine that. Yeah, yeah. That's what they should do. Absolutely should do. Anyway, the camera... Um, Lowers so you can only see the hands of the Dark Order. You know they're together forever, and all the rest of it. <laughs> hand on hand on hand, and then a fifth hand. Well, there was only four of them there. Camera pans out, and it's nice. It's Stu Grayson, and loads of people have been wondering why he's not there. A lot of Dark Order fans, of which there are many, yeah, and their voices should be counted. Um, have been you know a little bit sad that Stu Grace is not there. But ultimately, he is now either on a cameo basis or whatever, and the entire arena mm. really popped for this one, didn't the Hamlet? They did, and that's what this is all about, isn't it? If this was just a cameo, then it was nice for the audience to get, and it wouldn't be the first time on the show where they'd have like a, a home country wrestler appearing for a huge year, babe. Uh, and if it is a return, then if, to be honest, with the state of the Dark Order and the state, like the state of, I don't mean this is in a return of like, it's great to have a great wrestler on the roster because there's certainly plenty of great wrestlers, but in terms of a stable that needed the return of good vibes, like that's no bad thing. I'm not campaigning for like, finally Stu Grayson's back so he gets the big push, but like this group looks in tatters and when the point of the group is friendship, yeah. actually adding someone back to the ranks is probably quite good for the whatever there is left to tell about the Dark Order. Like, if you're not going to disband them and you're going to persist, it was just starting to feel sad. Yeah, so absolutely. Br- like, it would be, it, obviously, it's not going to be Colt Cabana, but bringing back another face from the past is quite nice for them, I think. Absolutely. In the words of Carver, it was a small, good thing. I'm getting very pretentious on these podcasts, like, <laughs> even, more, even more so than usual. Neil, um, Neil Postman last week, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Such a, <laughs> such a complete cock. But anyway, regardless, um, the Jericho Appreciation Society come out for an in-ring promo, and they are all in jubilant moods, which means you get Daddy Magic being in quintessentially great Daddy Magic form, and we get one of the best catchphrases in all of wrestling. Do you want to know what makes Daddy Magic's nipples hard? <laughs> and he talks about uh, welcoming back Daniel Garcia to the fold, and he finally has to explain his actions. And it was essentially what Michael Hamflet predicted um, as the storyline started to twist and unfold, um, particularly after the Sammy Guevara gets the pinfall yeah. uh, finish on the fortnight ago episode mm-hmm. of Dynamite, where he basically says, look, it's all about winning and you can't beat a sports entertainer. A sports entertainer beats a pro wrestler every time. He's finally learned that lesson in spite of the fact that Brian remains his hero. So I guess there's an air of mystery that still lingers around this storyline. But the basic gist of the explanation is... If you can't beat them, join them. Or if you can't beat them, rejoin them. I like it. I like it a lot. It's uh, we did. Um, yeah, it's not the hottest story in wrestling or anything, but it absolutely is an you know an important reminder that letting it play out is still worthwhile in AEW, even if sometimes you're feeling a little bit burned by stuff. 
this was a story that showed you enough to suggest that it was going somewhere. The um, I know that the timing maybe of Sammy Guevara getting a big win was poor in relation to what was going on in real life, but it was important maybe to get to where we are now. And the general gist of, like, it's not just that you've seen Chris Jericho's ways and he's following Chris Jericho's ways. He's generalised it to say a sports entertainer will always beat a wrestler. Seems like we'll get Garcia versus Danielson for the pure title and Danielson will prove him wrong and he will defeat him for the pure title and that might be at the pay-per-view and maybe he'll do one. Several steps below what Danielson should be doing, in my opinion. Absolutely is. There is a certain vibe of, I think you said this, and it, but it might have been you saying you'd read this somewhere. I can't remember, but there was this idea that like, whoa, we've certainly used a lot of men and a lot of money to get Wheelie Uter over. I think that was uh, it was a different podcast. It escapes me. That's not my take, but I read it. And it, it's like, oh, uh, when isn't you it? put it like that. It's happening again. We're on Jericho, we're on Danielson, and to a lesser extent, we're on the entire BCCJAS to arrive at a situation in which Daniel Garcia loses the pure title to Brian Danielson. Yeah. Oof. Like, that's cool, but we've got an awful long way to get there. I know. I kind of get it, and I kind of don't. I think that you've got at least two years of just booking Brian Danielson as a top-tier star, and then do what you like with all this. Absolutely. But I think they've missed the most important step, Yeah. and ultimately, I think it's a bit of a missed opportunity. Like, again, I don't want to go back in five years' time and think, oh, we could have got all of this but instead they made the noble failure of trying to push people who weren't necessarily mm. ready for a proper main event role. But at the same time, have you seen the state of the US Indies? Yeah. Like if Tony Khan wants to do this for the next 20, 30 years, he's probably thinking, gee, I'm going to have to do it? I, I'm going to have to he's build. that dog. Yeah. I, I, you know what I mean? Dogs, pizza guys, the progress spot. It's in yeah. tatters. This indie scene is... Um, look, AEW and NXT have completely taken loads and loads of the talent and the pandemic had a massive, disastrous effect on momentum and, like, the whole idea of indie guys breaking through. But that scene is in its worst period yeah. of the century, pretty much, considering the famous ECWA tournament was 2001, I believe, yeah. from which Ring of Honor became a proper promotion in 2002. I don't think it's been in a darker place since those days, so maybe they do really need to focus on the future. I'd, I will say as well... Um, just on what, like whatever is to become of Ring of Honor, if it's you know again that might that might help in the fact that that might provide if that's going to become a new feeder for AEW in this idealized world of whatever Ring of Honor ends up being for AEW, um, if that's going to be a place where the the best of what's left of the indies darlings I guess can make their name on a semi televised product, I can think of worse ways to launch that than world champion Jericho versus pure champion Danielson one last time for both belts. Yeah. And that's where Danielson... Like I, d I can't switch off this idea that he's got Brian Danielson earmarked to be the guy. When, when uh, Vince wanted to split, he was like on the verge of giving Raw to Nitro. Yes. And he was like, well, I've got Rock over there and I've got Austin over there. And like trying to imagine like the Rock or Steve Austin as the... Well, you need a star, so I get that. But, like, the top star of WCW Nitro is The Rock or Steve Austin. And I'll have the other one on SmackDown. The prospect of that, as unlikely as it seems, like, is Tony Khan thinking about that with Brian Danielson? Is he genuinely thinking, yeah. well, I need a guy, and you're this selfless guy, and also you kind of represent enough of what the company used to be, blah, 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 blah. Is that where all this is headed? Uh, I'd just rather have Brian Danielson, top AEW star, if I'm being perfectly honest. Yeah. But ultimately, the, uh, the segment is... Uh, brought to an end when Chris Jericho reiterates his promise to be every last former RA, ROH sorry, world champion, which brings about uh, former ROH champion Dalton Castle 
And I love this yeah. so much. One of the highlights of the show for me, it's so great. Because as, an, as a real layer of emotion and reality to the words that Dalton Castle is saying, but he articulates them in an absolutely fantastic, fantastic way. And the crowd just are in love with them in yeah. that moment. Um, they love Silly Goose as really? a catchphrase so much. They say, like, naive little silly goose. Naive little <laughs> silly goose. The crowd like, that's the best thing I've ever heard. So I'm just <laughs> chanting that. So he gets that over, and then he does the great um, bit of wordplay of, I broke my back to keep that title, yeah. which he did, and I'll break yours to get it back. Fantastic line. And then one of my favorite things in all of pro wrestling happens, and I'm not saying that Dalton Castle is as charismatic or as good as The Rock or Ric Flair. But I love wrestlers who love how charismatic they are. Mm. LA Knight's a little bit like that as well. Yeah, Obsessed with the idea of how much charisma they have. And then the more, it's like, uh, it's what I'm looking for. It's like they're, they're drip feeding themselves <laughs> with their own charisma. So the more they get high on it, the more charismatic they then appear. Yeah. And he's like, I'm the peacock that powers this whole thing. Those lights are all me. Your crowd reaction, it's all because of me. It's like when Ric Flair used to get high on himself in 1986, and he just used to absolutely own that spaceship studio. The Rock used to just sniff the electricity. I'm not saying Dalton Castle is on this <laughs> level, but I just love that aspect of a heel's, or a face in this case, his personality. And the match is set, pretty much. Yeah, when um, Jericho laid out the Ring of Honor, challenge thing obviously everyone was immediately fantasy booking their favorites and all that Dalton Castle was one of the ones I was more looking forward to for this reason predominantly I don't expect him to win the drama is simply not there in the result I mean that's all right because Dalton Castle and the boys have obviously got the ring of honor six-man titles to be worrying about yes so he's got other obviously to that, that, elsewhere, I, I, you I know like there but so he won't win um but this was I think probably the Best way to maximise this, you get one great Dalton Castle promo in front of a, a crowd that was definitely ready to receive him as a star for the night. A match that will have drama out the ass. Um, I expect the boys in 2.0, like Jericho, I imagine, will like be thinking of a lot of ways in which the boys and uh, the JS Society can have some fun on the outside as well. I think this will be a really fun bells and whistles affair that will then turn into something quite good at the end. There's going to be there's going to be a near fall that's going to be unbelievable in this match. I get a feeling for it. Dalton Castle's Ring of Honor World title reign, when you think back about it now, I in my head, it's... Remember the, the kids' show Nightmare where bits of the body would fall apart? Yes. Dalton Castle's uh, injury-laden. and He talks about obviously breaking his back. It was like... It's, it was heartbreaking. Like, he was finally ascending to this role that nobody would have... It's that traditional thing of, like, can a comedy wrestler really, like, become the top guy? And he does it. And then his body just fails him. Yeah. And you just see these matches where he's working through the most awful of intense pain and injuries. And he's... It's just... It wasn't... It was amazing, but it wasn't the title reign that adult and Castle would have had. So you yeah. can even buy that this is how he vindicates that. Yeah. So as far as, like, a one-week build for a cool Dynamite match, I'm quite into it. Um, and, you know, we've talked about this. AEW... Like, is there, we've joked about it, is there a genuine sense of, well, we know we're going to beat NXT on Tuesday night, but, like, we will be judged on how much we beat them by. Uh, so it probably doesn't hurt them to stack that dynamite with another big title match as well. Yeah. On the subject of people being in love with their own charisma, did you ever watch The Hives live in their heyday? I never saw them in person. I've, se I've seen their TV, like, their live performances. Though. I saw them at Leeds Festival. It would have been either 2004, 5, or 6. Uh -huh. So that was when I was a regular, when I was really young. <laughs> And uh, it's a Pell, Pell Ongvist? Yeah. Pell or Pelle or whatever. He's such an incredible front man. Super charismatic. He's so charismatic. 
he was unbelievable at controlling the crowd, and he would like kind of just admit. He's like halfway through the show, like right when they were doing like the big hits, he's like, "I got you in the palm of my hand, Leeds <laughs> Festival," and he said, "Like we're gonna um, ascend to the heavens, like the gods that we are. Come with us." And I was like, "Oh yes, okay. unbelievable! Oh, you're so good. I absolutely will." Um, up next on Rampage, not Leeds Festival 2004, oh, God, uh, we wish. get the oh, God. What years did you go? I went for the first time in 2000. I went again in... How old were you? Uh, 50, oh, 2001. 16. So it was the first year I went. Was that the proper enemy, ex-Karang, yeah. every band? Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Before we go any further, though, this show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Now, we all carry around different stresses. They can be big life worries or just, you know, little things like your favorite wrestler not being used properly. The thing is, when we keep them bottled up, it really can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever is weighing you down. It is really helpful, too, for learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. Therapy basically empowers you to be the best version of yourself. So why not give better help a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and best of all, suited to your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash whatculture today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash whatculture. Like rage, Go and look lip at those, biscuit, like you could spend hours looking Slipknot. at the yellow, the yellow band posters because it's just full lineups. There was a that was what I wanted to go to, but I wasn't allowed. There was a class new metal stage, but there was like really good um, indie stuff on a Saturday as well. It was kind of perfect. And then I went again in. I, I missed a year around that time, but I was going to say or two or three. And then I had a bit of a renaissance where I was like going. I was having like day ticket days. But then around like sort of between 09 and 2012, 2013, but I was shuttle busting back into Leeds for the Premier Inn. So did you go to 2010? 2010. I uh, went there as a nostalgia thing, so I was like a profe- young professional. There was a there was a lineup that had uh, Arcade Fire and Block Party on on the main stage, and I wanted to see Tokyo Police Club in the little enemy tent. And oddly enough, before Tokyo Police Club, there was Falls at their like very youthful um, math rock stage yeah, yeah, yeah. before they'd like really well, good. Ah, yeah, but uh, I that was by then I was in my uh, shuttle bus back to Leeds Town Centre era because I wasn't camping. I was I didn't need to be 
I was in like my mid twenties by then. I didn't need to be waking up to tent fires on a Monday morning. Like you, you can cope with that. I, I always like seventeen, but I always liked the idea of a festival more than the actual experience. Of oh yeah, I hate there. festivals, but like I love watching lots and lots and lots of bands in an easy to access manner. So. Yeah, I used to hate right. I used to love going down there. I hate camping. I, I don't hate like it. camping. I hate feeling gross the day after yep. anything. I've got th- literally three more days of walking around and there's people who are still somehow really glamorous on yeah. the Saturday and the Sunday and I'm looking terrible. Warm Never cans, warm cans are hard going, I think. Yeah. Some people can manage that, but yeah, warm I lagers can't. and warm ciders are... I know, and then if you actually get them from the bar, they're too expensive. Yeah. If I'd have known, I'd have trained myself, because I like a red wine now. <laughs> I'd just trained myself at the time, a glass of red, you can have that at room temperature. Yeah. Regrets in life. <laughs> if I could go back and do it different, I would just have red wine at a festival. You see that's all. Walking around with like those silver bags with the little taps on the end. Yeah, just yeah. Out the taps. It's a way to do it. Yeah. Not like warm lager, which is horrible. Um, Hikaru Shida and Tony Storm um, talk up their imminent women's world title impromptu match in a half decent pre day promo. Before which, because all the women get bundled together. <laughs> um, oh, sorry. After which, we get Nyla Rose versus Anna JAS. If I'm going to be nice, I would say that this is a fun match. The distractions on the outside accentuated which mm. um, there's some really good interplay when Anna JAS, who controlled most of this and then kind of got beaten in anticlimactic fashion, um, has Nyla Rose choking her on the ropes by driving a knee into um, the back of Nyla Rose's head. And Daddy Magic is just screaming in Nyla Rose's face. <laughs> and it's just so abrasive and obnoxious and great. This summons um, Vicky Guerrero, who tries to pretend that she's going to crack on to Ange Parker, who is delighted by this. Mm-hmm. He's absolutely delighted. Then she gets um, his suspenders, pulls them back, and just smacks him in the nipples. And he hates that. And it's, again, just... How show adjacent fair, that's mm. consistent with how the show is. Uh, Nyla Rose simply wins because she has to, because she's got the match with uh, Jade Cargill. And then after the match, in the post-match angle, um, Cargill comes out after Guerrero holds up a, holds up a 1-0 sign. Kind of Sid vibes from that mm-hmm. in 1999, and I really appreciate it. And then um, Jade Cargill absolutely destroys the security dickheads, and it's fantastic. Yeah, They've kind of made something good out of something terrible here. Yeah, this is better than your standard Commoner Garden belt theft story, isn't it? What It's a shame, right? Because so they made a huge baby face out of Jade Cargill in the post-match, having not really had one for the duration of the match. I think the only thing working against this, it was all really fun, but there was no baby face, was there? The heel, heel dynamic was strange in the building because that's like the vicious vixens were not, asking you to cheer them. And Vicky Guerrero is a lifetime. She exists to get heat. Yeah. But then she's put in a position where she's going to be getting a huge pap for wind up the Jericho Appreciation Society. So I'd, that worked against this a little bit, but I completely understood why. Once you had all that interaction on the floor, I understood why you'd picked Anna JAS in the first place rather than just a heel. Like, yeah. Sorry, like any old heel or any old babyface to fight Nyla Rose. I have enjoyed... I think Nyla Rose getting a belt theft story is really interesting because I've enjoyed see it like the visual of her holding a title. Yes. And I wonder if this has been finally done as a bit of a tester rather than the traditional, well, the champion beats the monster. Because Nyla Rose has always been that, and I expect Jade Cargill to win, but this has felt markedly different to every other time that Nyla Rose has been the first losing challenger. Yeah. And they've given her the, like normally when she challenges, it's just Vicky Guerrero comes out and says, you can't beat Nyla Rose, she's a monster. And then the champion beats Nyla Rose, despite the fact she's a monster. Yeah. Ergo, she's not much of a monster. This time, this whole thing has existed to kind of remind you that Nyla Rose is like personified. And maybe if and when she loses to 
uh, Jade Cargill, like she bins off the vicious vixens and just yeah. goes about being a baby face on her own sting. Like, thanks for all this, but I'm really funny. The fans are getting behind me and use are the things I need the least. Yeah. Feels like a backdoor pilot for a baby face turn. Yeah. Uh, Nyla Rose is already such a massive baby face on Twitter. It feels like they are giving her the lovable rogue, yeah. situational lovable rogue baby face with the idea being, right, let's see... Because Twitter isn't real. We know this. Mm. Um, and I think maybe this is a soft launch for, right, how real is Twitter? Or if it is a small sample, will, like, the masses um, echo people who love her on Twitter? And we're both... It's not even my kind of patter. Sometimes it's, like, terrible jokes on purpose. It's got Chris Jericho quality about the way she's... Yes, Surprise, that's a great bitch. Yeah, That's yeah, very yeah. Chris Jericho. And some of her, like, obnoxiously terrible on purpose jokes, like, through force of will, do mm. get over. So that's the thing. I prefer, like, dark stupid drill-esque comedy on Twitter as yeah. opposed to what Nyla Rose does. But ultimately, she's got such a great personality that she gets it over. Um, in a pre-taped segment, God damn it, we get a twist in the tale of Hook versus the Trustbusters. I'm thinking, this has to be the last set of geeks before they do something serious, but they're kind of geekifying quite a lot of the roster. So who the hell knows <laughs> at this moment? But Ari Devori, with a revelation that he didn't offer Hook to join the Trustbusters, he wants to pay 50,000 USD for the FTW title. Take it? Yeah. It's not even recognized by AEW. Uh, <laughs> it's an outlaw title that a babyface sensation holds that the promoter likes to put on TV every now and then. Was he? It's got no heft. It's no. so far from its original purpose. And uh, just sell it out. Was he saying that he the, the what Hook tore up was cash? Like, the Hook is like... Torn up there, but he never even looked at what was in the envelope. Yeah, and he just torn up a bunch of bills. Is that what was in that envelope? Was Maybe that the check? I don't know. I check. Yeah, like if you hook, sell it, and win it back. Yeah, you hook, you squash jobbers, right? You sell it to him. Yeah, you go Thank you very much. Uh, next week on Rampage, it's me versus you for the FTW title. I mean, you win it back in ten seconds, yeah. and you're fifty grand better off. Like, but if you, you know, I was picking at this. By the way, all like flippancy aside, this and the um, well, the the, the contract match. Matt Hardy and all that sort of stuff. It's why these admin angles are so rubbish because they fall apart under the most like minimal of scrutiny. Oh, God, I know. Like, admin and paperwork storylines are always the easiest things to pick apart. And AW's modus operandi was once having like tight storyline threads. So just to riff on your idea there, if Hook was smart, yeah. that he would, yep, here you go. Actually, I'm going to challenge for it, mm-hmm. okay? Tony Khan could then say, well, I'm actually sanctioned by uh, AEW, despite the fact that I've sanctioned several defences of this <laughs> title over the past however many years. But, you know, maybe smart Mark Sterling can come in and say, actually, you can't actually challenge this title because it's not sanctioned by the promotion. So yeah. you, you don't have any claim to do a match for it, even though, you know, it's been happening for the past two years. It's stupid. I loved Taz so much, but his defences of this title, in a, in the context of AEW, just make no sense whatsoever. This title makes no sense whatsoever. So they buy it. And it's a big, like, we've done it. We've bought the world title. And then they use the WrestleMania 4 precedents where bought titles don't count. And it goes up in a tournament that Hook wins. Yes. Like, and you do the Ted DiBiase Andre thing. For an unsanctioned title that isn't actually legitimately yeah. recognized by AEW, even though it is because they've sanctioned several defenses of it on their own program. Out of the belts five, it's just a one night tournament for the FTW title. Be the best one yet. Yeah. <laughs> it's Hook versus a dork in every single round. Like three times and just tapping out, tapping out people every round. Jesus Christ. I was going to say... How here we, we are. Here we are, finding stuff for the Trustbusters and Hook to make sense. How do we get here? Now I'm going to talk about the Andrade firm family office. <sighs> the A-H-F-F-O. Featuring Rush. Rush. This is diamond mine level bad. Yeah. 
terrible. But ultimately, Ethan Page beats Asaya Cassidy in two minutes, ten seconds. And the worst thing is, right, can it, like, did he even said, I'm coming to Toronto soon, he's calling his shot. Not only does he not get that shot, he gets his nice game made and his YouTube bear bear for this. For this. Two minutes, it's a distraction. So if you want to be strictly in the letter of whatever, he is protected in defeat. No, he isn't. He loses in two minutes. My entire problem with the storyline, right, is that private party looks like dicks because for two years more, they've been under the clutches of Matt Hardy, then Andrade, and then Matt Hardy's trying to redeem himself and show private party. You know, I can't show you the way I didn't, by the way. Oh, you're meant to be baby faces. Oh, we were baby faces in the first place, Matt. <laughs> if that's the way to succeed, we've wasted two years of our life under your guidance. So, in fact, we're just going to be baby faces then. If you can't win by cheating, we'll tell Danny Garcia that for a start. Mm-hmm. So much of this is a goddamn mess, by the way. Yeah. All right, okay. So, Matt Hardy, I led you astray. She's just been baby faces the whole time. Right, okay, well, we were in the first place, regardless. So my whole problem with private parties is that they've got no agency. They look like idiots for believing the words of these carnies who are revealed to be hypocrites and all the rest of it. And now they should not be listening to Andrade or Matt Hardy because their careers have been completely derailed by virtue of doing precisely that for, at this point, two and a half years, right? Yeah. So that's been my whole problem. Just to hammer it home one more time. My whole problem is that they should not be listening to Andrade. They should not be listening to Matt Hardy. And now they should not be listening to the firm, right? By virtue of them losing, or in the ca- in Isaiah Cassidy case, one of them losing, why would the firm Andrade, who is now Roosh, or Matt Hardy want anything to do with these? All right, he loses, he loses in two minutes. Yeah. It's you would just think, you know what? You had your time in the sun from characters. I'm not saying that Isaiah Cassidy and Mark Quinn don't have... Who drops that down the line? What I'm saying from the looking at this somehow as a fictional world, and you're spent two years, you've got so much belief in this young act that you're willing to dedicate your career yep. to leeching off them or saving them in the case of Matt Hardy, right? Two years. Two years. You see that much in them. They can either get your dirty work done, and that's why you want them, or you know what? You can really be someone, and I'm not going to get in your way. I'll, I'll do it for free. That's how much I believe in you. Oh, you lost in two minutes. What are we doing here? I, yeah. Like, I echo all of that, and thus I don't just want to end up repeating things here. There's, there's two things that stuck out to me. I picked on this with other examples. I've found it. You know, like, we perpetually have what is, like, what's your least favorite thing in all of wrestling? Yeah, and it yeah. changes as the months. But my favorite thing in all of wrestling, like, beyond any sort of doubt at this point, it's heels in particular that hire or procure the services of people, hate them, bury them, abuse them, don't use them correctly, and then say things like, yeah, come back next week, we'll do it all over again. I absolutely hate it. Like they were doing it with Roderick Strong in the Creeds. Yeah. Bit, remember yeah. that? Hey, guys, you absolutely suck. We're winning all the time. Yeah, it's like I said, you suck. See you next week for more of this. Like, why would these people be I together? Know, I why, know. Who, who is getting anything from this, right? And that's like, I just hate this. Like, wrestling just accepts it. It's like, uh, yeah, you're coming with me, losers. Why? Like, why would you invite somebody uh, right. that, like, complete losers? I want you. Eh? Like, they're just, it, it, it makes no sense. And the worst thing about wrestling is because it's such an accepted trope, nobody tries to put the detail in there. I know. Nobody ever, like, drops in a, yeah, like, you've lost 12 in a row, but I'm, I'm doing this for you. Like, it is more fake to me at this point than Seth Rollins and Rey Mysterio sharing a locker room when one tried to take the other's eye. Yeah, years I know. Ago. Like, it's just, it is absolutely absurd that you just have this play out and nobody just stops to question, why are we, why are we, in each other's company. If all of us hate this collectively, surely the we're all a bunch of losers. Yeah, 
Matt Hardy, the other thing, the other observation from this is Matt Hardy selling any of this like it is the single worst thing to happen in his personal or professional life. Like I was despondent with the, old Matt. The the gravitas and heft he is trying to attach to this again is this wrestling thing where I appreciate the effort, mate. Don't patronize me. Don't work me, bro. It just it couldn't feel faker yeah. because I don't buy the stakes and nobody else does. And nothing you can do on screen is going to make me believe that this matters as much it's as pathetic. some of the enormous events that have transpired in your life on screen. Never mind off that this ain't it. Like this is not the thing that has got you putting your head in your hands and being like, how can I back to the, how can I face my family at the Hardy compound now? This has occurred really easily, Matt. Meaningless, mate. I just hate this so much. I hate this. Who's into it as well? The only way this would have worked if was if private party having gone back on their cheating ways was so close and a really nice long spirited match, but they just got screwed. And Matt's out for God's sake. Got beaten two minutes. This is pathetic. Everyone involved is a loser. What needs to happen, right, I think, is Private Party needs to deck every single one of them. And yet I still don't even think at the moment, because of the way AEW books, like Private Party should just turn on all of these people. Enough. Enough of you. Enough of you. Like, we're better than this crap. And yet, even if that occurred, you could easily picture them being like, but who was who got into their heads to convince them? Yeah. To, and they were like, well, actually, you've just created a third person now that wants Private Party's contracts. They, like, God forbid the rest of themselves be like, this is terrible. Watch this. And then they gin and juice all the people. Yeah. Watch this. Like, we got these moves. And then it would, st- like, they'd do some sort of thing where it was like, Stokely Hathaway's recruited them for the firm. No, that's the problem. Like, you, you're not supposed to give them, like, somebody acting in the background. Yeah. Just let it be the team. And yet, we feel a million miles away from that ever happening. Gin and juice. Ten losers in a row. And we're like, don't need any of these yeah, anymore. It's just absolutely ridiculous. Uh, before the main event, there's a pre-taped segment where the best friends basically challenge Death Triangle for the trio's titles on Dynamite, and it's so cruel because um, what I like to do, in spite of myself, in spite of my rational part of my brain, none of the elite figure into this. They probably don't. Yeah, They probably don't. I'm thinking, right, how many trios have you got? Because you've launched the title when you've had fewer of them than ever, or at least ones that can take seriously in the tournaments we used to fantasy book. So why are you running this back now? Mm. After A Steel did a freedom video from Blues Brothers, and they subtextually <laughs> mentioned the elite on Dynamite. Yeah, and I'm like Charlie Kelly with that board. Aye, and I'm Charlie Kelly with For that a board. Tuesday show as well. There's like already stacked and jacked out. Yes, yeah. so be... you can save this one, unless, 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 unless. unless. I tell you what though. You know how we poke one of the Yanks from time to time? <laughs> and I'm not saying that. Sh- I'm absolutely not saying that because that would bury, uh, <laughs> you know, alienate. portion of the audience. It advertises, actually. But I do love how it's like, all right, if you don't press one button which says channel up on the <laughs> listings, I then it, and there's half this. of them can't do it. Like when a smack that goes to FS1, it's oh, like chaos. You could probably theoretically still get like 1.8 million, 800,000. Yeah, where have two million people gone? Oh I mean, no! In real, in reality, they probably think if it's on FS1, then it's not going to be a big show. Yeah. But like, watch it. You just turn it it's over. It's weird. It's just weird. You probably think, all right, well, I'll watch it every week. That's you know what it makes me think of? It reminds me of when it's I was. It's as if they never phone it in. It reminds me under of Vince. You know I was what I mean? And like you would in your head. Like, like, we would get, like, Sky TV over here and stuff like that eventually. But when you were a kid, you Ameri- imagine, like, America had, like, three million channels. Yes. Like, like, fair enough. Like, oh, SmackDown's not on one. It's not on two either. And you keep going, keep going. You're, like, channel... Because, like, on TV shows and films, it was like, uh, hey, you seen what's on Channel 800? 800 I know. What? 
Like, so fair enough if you can't find SmackDown Buried on Channel 729. Like, I understand it, but it's not that now, is it? It's like, it's on FS1. It would take, it takes once. Yeah, yeah. Oh, like, just we, Google it. Just we're Google talking it. about for work. Like, oh yeah, SmackDown's on FS1 this week. I've never like, watched a second of FS1 in. No, but I Because I'm in the UK, but I know what it is. I would now know to go to it for a channel, yeah. In the nights of the week, other things like that. It's like, ah, oh, it's funny. It, it is it, funny. It, 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 it's, it, it, it's just, it's a difference in culture. That I, genuinely, I think what we're, what we're laying out here is just something that, again, if there was a show that we watched regularly, if people still sat down and watched television, like, you would just see what channel it was on. <laughs> Especially the tool chip. Yeah, like, next week's thing is on uh, BBC One. Uh, it's going to be moved to BBC Two because the World Cup coverage is on. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> no, okay. that's a perfect example. It's like, yeah. oh, hang on. You should spend a second and you're a little bit confused. Like, isn't that not going to be... Uh, World Cup's on. Yeah. yeah, the World Cup's on, so I'll just watch my thing on... I would watch a World Cup. And yeah, yeah, but... Be, yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> but they get around that a little bit. And they do a cute... <laughs> I'm laughing at one, like, like the, the finger hovering over the remote. <laughs> like the channel up thing. <laughs> I can't do it. I can't do it. I'm missing it this week. I'm not going to be the one of the um, one million people who just don't watch SmackDown this week. <laughs> it's on FS1. It's so bizarre. But anyway, this does have a purpose because to try and convey to the audience that it's not on Wednesday now, you know what that means. <laughs> it's on Tuesday now, you know what that means. Orange Cassidy is yeah. situated... It's the guy who doesn't know this information, the audience surrogate. And he goes, I don't know why it's on Tuesday this week. I didn't know that. Ah, uh, so I'm going to watch it on Tuesday. Yeah. It's pretty clever. Uh, the main event is next. Nice 10-minute match. Um, it's Sean Spears and FTR versus Brian Cage and the Gates of Agony. Um, it's a nice little house show main event for Sean Spears. I don't mean that to sound patronizing, but it is. Yeah. And he earns a spot by delighting the crowd with his very smart... Um, professional wrestling, and he takes um, brutal apron bomb, which he sells magnificently well. Um, I should add, it's a great performance from Sean Spears. It's not exactly going to be scintillating episodic TV, but it might be if they did something that they didn't do. Mm. Um, so yeah, in picture in picture, Brian Cage works over um, Spears um, in the break. We got a brief hope spot, which is cut off with an absolutely great reversal from Sean Spears. Um, but the numbers game and cutting off the ring and yanking folk off the apron um, steers the advantage back into the um, cage and gates of agony trio. Um, Dax Harwood gets the hot tag when we come back from picture in picture and goes wild. And ultimately it ends with Sean Spears hitting the C4. This is a really nice bit of business and they get again Tokyo Dome, January 4, main event, 36 minutes in during the old times when they don't have to clap. That kind of reaction yeah. when we get a triple shop shooter spot, the best spot for the best crowd that they've had all year pretty much with the best guys to do it and it ends with the C4. This is a house show main event that happened to be on telly and it was very nice, but even nicer was what came afterwards. Yeah, but I'd like... By for various Bishop Corn, what for, a name that is! For various reasons, like better than the uh, FTR Gates of Agony tag match by orders of magnitude. This wasn't it, yeah, and not just because of oh, the, massively, like so. not just because of extra men or indeed the location, like all of the above. This was just better. This was a more fun viewing experience on TV. It was clearly a, the fans were more engaged in this than the fans the previous week were in the FTR in the tag match. Um, so I didn't mind this one bit. Uh, Sean Spears is such a strange guy because we lived through this, and I remember like in, like when we first met each other, like sharing like weird thing to say now, like sharing how much we loved Sean Spears, and if they could finally put it all together yeah. on the main roster, he's a very strange wrestler in that regard because he does inspire like adulation sometimes as a babyface. It's really quite remarkable. He's a great babyface worker. Yeah, he's a better babyface worker than a heel worker. 
but a, is a heel worker. But he's, he's a better heel gimmick guy. Yeah. Like when the 10 thing was first in NXT, it was as an obnoxious heel. Yeah. And it was so funny that he ended up turning babyface. And the same thing was happening with MJF as the chairman yeah. as well. And then he puts it together in the ring. Wrestler's wrestler type guy, but not boring. Right? That's really important to stress the difference. And yet there's always this ceiling that just feels lowered on him than some other guys from his class. The thing you're alluding to after the show, recommended for anybody to go watch on Twitter after the fact, he cuts this really heartfelt promo where he talks about the sad passing of his mother during the time he was away. Of course, the last time he wrestled was like Wardlow, pounded his dick into the dirt ahead of the MJF feud. So he disappears off television, then he comes back as the, the babyface 10 guy rather than the chairman. Makes friends with Wardlow in the corner, obviously, in that nice little moment between them. He says he's been off. His mother has tragically passed, but in that time, he was able to at least share the news with her that he was going to be a father. Um, they're expecting a baby. And, of course, in Canada especially, this goes down amazingly well. Lovely. Cut some time off the match and have this be both a heartfelt and in-character reason for his absence and his change yeah. of heart as a character. This is, like, legitimately good pro wrestling kayfabe stuff as much as it is yeah. heartfelt reality. Thanks for coming out stuff. Because otherwise it scans as, I'm a baby face because people like me in my hometown. Yeah. As opposed to... Deep contemplation about who I am as a human being. The pinnacle perspe- being mates now that MJF's out of the way is a really interesting detail yeah. as well, I think. And my perspective on life has been completely changed. For this reason, we should put this on television. Mm. Um, so your thoughts on the match before we cover the post-match angle? I like watching... Um, I think I prefer watching trios matches in AEW at the moment when they're uh, like... Monsters. When there's like... Big guys and big spots rather than the all-action trio stuff because a bit like what you were kind of alluding to with the best friends and Death Triangle, the best ones at it aren't around, so everything will feel compared yeah. to what could be happening. This feels nowhere near a EW trio's action. As a result, it had like a totally different energy to it as a result. House show energy is no bad thing on occasion, Aye. and it just it captured that well here. Yeah, absolutely. In the post-match... Um after the baby faces celebrate, the kingdom make their debut in AEW. That is Maria Canellas Bennett, Mike Bennett, and Matt Taven. And they mentioned that they are former two-time ROH champions, and they basically want those belts back. Is the gist? Um, but because the FTR and Spears have the ba- uh, the backs turned, and um, the Embassy are able to beat them down. The five-on-three beatdown, and this goes on for some time, but then it draws out Wardlow and Joe. This ten-man tag if it happens, mm. and it appeared to have been built to here, could be really, really good. And if they beat, with the best of respects, Sean Spears, mm-hmm. then that's how you can build um, Kingdom versus FTR. Um, so there's lots to play with here. Someone like Samoa Joe could be great in the 10-man yeah. context as well. So, look, I'll be lying if I'm doing cartwheels over the Kingdom. But I'm not going to instantly say, I oh, you know what, Matt Taven completely buried Ring of Honor. It's not as simple as that. And he killed the town and he's a bit boring and all the rest of it. Like, by all accounts and from what little I've seen, um, they have redeemed themselves massively um, after that really dismal 2019 run um, that both endured yeah. separately. Uh-huh. Uh, they've come together, they've redeemed themselves, they've rehabbed their reputations. Ben, a great story, isn't it? Yeah. Like, yeah. Great story for Bennett as well. And, you know, that double team that they've got, the backpack stunner, um, Busaiku knee. Yeah. Great stuff. Um, so, you know, I'm excited for the match, or at least I'll be excited when it unfolds. I can't pretend to be doing cartwheels. But ultimately, again, if you want to read the tea leaves here, they are pushing ROH so heavily on television. They're building Jericho's entire gimmick around it. They are bringing in yet more names. I'd be shocked at this point if they don't have anything in the pipeline, read a TV deal. You don't want it to be... 
<laughs> oh my god, I'm so excited. You don't want it to just be this like hope you can't stand with the Ring of Honor, don't you? You don't want to see more signings and think, oh, it must be coming, it must be coming, it must be coming. Oh no, it's not coming. It's just that like yeah. just AW and Tony Khan still like signing wrestlers. You want to believe it's for a greater purpose for something more than just filling out the roster yeah. with yet more wrestlers. Because again, that that is unfair on the kingdom and Maria Canellis. They're they deserve jobs as much as anybody else. But if they come in at a time when people are sick of seeing hired wrestlers, it looks like it's a them problem rather than a bigger yeah. systemic issue. So you've got to hope it's for this Ring of Honor thing. Because I, too, wasn't exactly wowed by the spoilers. It's been quite fun being like, hey, Tony, you've been worked. You've been worked by Paul. Yeah, no. like those wrestlers specifically getting signed last week after they were named in a list of like apparently Triple H targets. Like, Does he feel like he's gone for a big W there? Because it's... Scanning more as an L from the outside, yeah. but I like the 10-man tag. It's got a proper um, 2020 Daily's Place energy to it. Yes. But some of them didn't go so well. Some of them were awesome. So I'd, I kind of want to watch that 10-man tag as well. So It'd be yeah. a great way to introduce a new act. Like yeah. a, a match that can't not be exciting. Yeah. Then you create an exciting backdrop and create excitement on behalf of Kingdom, which I don't think was reflected online. But ultimately, I don't think that online reception was based on... The best of faith, shall we no, say. No, I think so. I will let it play out patiently without giving it too much thought, and then I'll see how it happens, when it happens, because that is the fairest way to do it. Uh, but let us know in the uh, Twitter comments underneath the link to this pod, whether you're excited about Kingdom, don't give a toss about Kingdom, or your general thoughts on this episode. We always welcome the feedback. Um, in addition to that, at what culture WWE, uh, and whilst you're there on Twitter, you can follow Michael Hamflet at... Michael Hamflet. You can follow me at M. Sidgwick. You can watch us both live and in person oh. on the YouTube news video today. Um, you can also check back to your podcast feeds later on because we are going to be reviewing uh, SmackDown and previewing Raw. Um, three podcasts a day. Mm. We're asking for a lot of your it's, it's time. Too, it's too much Dudley today, isn't it? It's too much it's Dudley too much today. People. It's too, too much Dudley. Patient. We are asking, the others you like will be back soon enough. Indeed. Probably. Indeed. We've uh, asked a lot of your time, and if you give it to us, we will be absolutely eternally grateful, as we always are. Thank you so much for joining us, and in some of your cases, we will see you very soon. Thank you. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Save big money on plant protection supplies. Now at Menards. Defend your garden with Triazicide Insect Killer. Its fast-acting formula protects lawns, vegetables, and many other plants. It kills more than 260 insects by contact, above and below ground. Choose from ready-to-spray, concentrate, or granular. Save big money on Triazicide Insect Killer at Menards. And check out our weekly flyer on Menards.com for all the great deals happening now. Save 